Welcome back for another episode of Talk to Tatiana. And I would love to welcome Joe Frankie to the show. Welcome, Joe. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So, Joe, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and where you are in the world. Well, uh, I guess the summary of that is I graduated from high school. A month later, I was in the Army, spent four years at the military academy, then 30 years on active duty, and uh, came out of active duty as a colonel, 52 years old, and tried to enter the private sector. And what I found is uh, corporate world really didn't need you, so you needed to work with other people, entrepreneurs, putting a deal together or something like that. And so I uh, did that with wastewater, um, oil and gas, transmission lines, power lines, all that kind of stuff. And eventually ended up in um, executive search. And what I found there is people would come to me saying, hey, Joe, can you help me with my resume? Can you help me with my LinkedIn profile? And so I do that. And most of the people I was doing that with got interviews. So then they started telling other people, you need to talk to Joe. And so then what happened was my phone was ringing 11 o'clock at night, five o'clock in the morning. Hey, you help Bob, you know, can you help me? And my wife said, hey, either go back to your day job or make a business out of this. And, and she said, uh, I said, why do you think this would be a good business? And she said, I'm listening to you talk to these people and you sound like you're developing army officers. And then it, the light bulb came on that all I've done for 40 years is develop career, develop people, try to help them get to their next promotion, try to help them get to their next school, try to help them get to their next assignment, create a situation where they could get some experience, you know, so they could be better thought of in their own particular vertical. And so uh, that's when I started basically coaching, assisting, and helping senior leaders with communications and, and that type of stuff. And so formed my company, JF3 Associates. So I've coached uh, 701 executive veterans and students in the last uh, six plus years. And they've ranged in age uh, from 15 to 84. And uh, the bulk of them are 40 plus year olds who are trying to figure out what's next. Because as you get to be about 40 plus years old in the market, you know, nobody's chasing you as hard as they were earlier. So that's the, that's the, the short story. That's awesome. And so what do you find to be people's biggest hurdle when they're looking for that promotion? Or actually, let's take it one at a time. Yeah. For the 40 year olds, 40 plus, um, how do you, like, what's their biggest challenge that you see among that particular group? 40 plus year olds, um, they uh, are under merchandised. In what other words, mean? they bring more to the table than anybody can see. Okay. And so they're so used to using just their direct network so that these people know them inside and out, can vouch for them and all of that. But what LinkedIn gave us, you know, in the last seven or eight years is you can you can propel yourself exponentially. But to do that, you know, you have to kind of be out there. People got to see you for what you bring to the table. And so a lot of people just uh, think, you know, certain content's not important, you know, and um, uh, it, when 
when that happens and all these people that are searching LinkedIn, if you don't have very much content, you don't come up in the search. So you're in a content war with your peers, whether you like it or not. Sure. And so your more content trumps, trumps less content, higher quality content trumps that compelling content beats them all. Hmm. And what makes compelling contract? Con, con, compelling content, content is where you quantitatively and qualitatively describe what you bring to the table. What have you done? So a lot of times I'll run across somebody, okay, they've worked someplace for three years and um, they say uh, uh, project manager, okay, and uh, work senior level projects. You know, that's the bullet. And so I always go, well, how many projects did you work in those three years? What were the size of the project teams? What were the value of the projects? Were the projects completed on time? Were the projects completed under budget? You know, because uh, nobody is going to hire you for a senior project manager unless you can uh, describe very aptly what you bring to the table. But people will say, well, Joe, just get me the interview and, you know, I'll tell them all that. Well, hey, you know, they moved your cheese out here. And uh, now if I can find that in somebody else by just searching their LinkedIn profile, then, you know, they're going to the front of the line. So do you, are you choosing to be at the back of the line? Most people say, no, I don't want to be at the back of the line. I said, well, then you've got to make some effort to get yourself into the front of the line. And so what do you find for, let's say, 15-year-olds? Uh, what do you find to be the biggest, I guess, I wish? I haven't had very many of those. But in this case, you had a 15-year-old. I had coached one of their parents. And I said, hey, they, they wanted me to help them with, uh, with their son or daughter. And I said, but gosh, you know, you know all this stuff. And, and they said, well, you know, I'm her parent, so I don't know anything. Okay. So uh, what they were trying to do is get her into an extremely competitive high school. And so if you filled out a scholarship form for your kids or yourself way back in, you, there's lots of questions, write about this, write about that. You know, every one of them has their own style. And so what we did was we laid all the answers to those questions out and embedded it in a LinkedIn profile. And so, uh, you know, uh, one, it gave this person, you go through all this effort. So now you've got it out there so it can be seen. And secondly, uh, you've answered all the questions that this particular institution wanted to know. Third, it's almost, it's in public social media. You can't lie about it because you can be called out on it. Right. Um, and uh, so I, I didn't know how this was going to go, but, you know, it's a thought we, we tried. And so she called me um, after it was all over with and, and uh, said, uh, I said, how'd it go? He said, well, they only asked, Mr. Frankie, they only asked me three questions. And I said, oh, my <laughs> God, this is not good. And, uh, and then they told me that I was already ready for college. And I didn't, I had to think about that, but you know, she got what she wanted and she got in, but what does, what does the school want? 
the school wants people that they take on that are going to matriculate and bring good metrics back toward the school, right? Sure. What yeah. they saw is they she already knew how to merchandise herself for scholarships and everything else. And uh, so I think that's why that statement was made. I can't say any more about it because uh, I'm she's a minor and I've got confidentiality agreements and all that kind of stuff. But she got what she wanted. Is that right? She got what she wanted. And so the oldest one was 84. And what he wanted was back in the workforce. And uh, I said, well, uh, I said, let me see your resume. And he said, well, I kind of got an old one. I said, well, give me your LinkedIn URL. What's LinkedIn? (laughs) And uh, So we ended up, you know, working with him over time and, you know, building it because somebody with that much experience has a lot of content. And he wasn't getting anywhere because he wasn't selling what he really did. And so he, on three different occasions, he had worked a uh, ERP interface with kind of SAP. Um, And this same client had the same problem with the same ERP and it was an SAP. So this is something he'd already solved three other times. So, you know, he's a perfect fit, but, you know, they can't see you if they can't find you. And if you don't tell story after story after story that you solve problems. So LinkedIn gives you this ability to tell stories. And anybody that's over 40 plus years old, you have to tell the stories because if you rely just on your skills, they'll pick the younger person. What they want is experience dealing with people solving a problem. You know, that's so that's really leadership, project lead leadership, you know, working together to solve the problem. And so um, uh, this uh, gentleman was upset with me because he only got a contract. He didn't he wasn't a W-2 employee. He said, no, I mean, you know, you told me. I said, look, I mean, there, you, you got work. You got a year's worth of work. I said, if you will help the youngsters there and show them on a monthly basis that you're saving them a ton of money, you're making them a ton of money. They, nobody cares how old you are. If you are returning six or seven X your value, they'll keep you there forever. That's right. So, uh, and, and that's what he wanted him for. And uh, that's what he was, was doing, but he couldn't be seen for that because he would never get to the point where somebody would call him up. I mean, no recruiter, once they look at a resume, is going to say, well, you know, I can't offer this guy up. So by Doing on LinkedIn, people that needed to solve the problem found him, okay? You know, because their big search words was that ERP system, SAP, all this kind of stuff. So he was was found for what he brought to the table. And he had story after story after story of solving different problems with that ERP-SAP interface. Awesome. I love it. And so um, what do you... How do you primarily work with people? Do people just find you on LinkedIn to engage you or do you do you reach out on your own? What is that process like? I reach out uh, on my own, uh, not as heavy as I probably should, but most of my business comes from my LinkedIn profile. So I've coached in 14 different countries, but I've never advertised. 
<laughs> so that's people finding me. You end up, they send you a note, you end up in a conversation and then uh, they determine whether, you know, you want to move forward and how they want to move forward. Awesome. And um, kind of when you were in the, um, in the military, what skills do you feel it has given you to be able to now run the business and really support um, so many people? And also you mentioned that you're co- you've coached uh, former military, retiring military, right? Um, how, what yeah. are the skills you think have, that have been critical that you got in the military? Well, so what the military does gives you immense responsibility at a young age. Uh, I don't know. I have never seen any other uh, civilian system that gives that much responsibility. I mean, you you talk about uh, a 19 or 20-year-old sergeant, you know, supervising um, four other members with automatic weapons and explosives you know, that's pretty awesome responsibility and you're responsible, you know, first they can't hurt themselves with their own stuff. And then you've got to train them well enough so that they can uh, prosecute that on the enemy. And so that's a lot of responsibility. So and what's really funny is you talk to the military and I said, well, tell me about the projects they gave you. Uh, sir, they never gave me any uh, projects. I said, did anybody ever give you an order? Oh, sir, people gave me order all the time. And I said, well, that was a project. <laughs> they they gave you a task. They expected you to accomplish it in an uncertain conditions to a certain standard. And so that is uh, emboldened in people, you know, from, you know, the get go. And the nice thing about the military is whatever you're dealing with, safety is already inculcated into whatever you're dealing with. You know, if you're dealing with vehicles, the whole safety piece is built in as they teach you to drive or be an assistant driver or something. All of that's built into it. Same thing with how to handle a weapon or anything else. Whereas in the civilian world, a lot of times you have the safety officer and he's responsible for overseeing, trying to fix things on the fly and, uh, and, 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 and that kind of stuff. So I think the, the important thing is you get responsibility early. Um, if you get in responsibility to get people to do things, you learn a lot about how you need to treat people, you know, in order to cooperate and graduate on that project. And how, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing here that you've uh, enjoyed being in the military because you've stayed there for 30 years. I really, uh, I love soldiers. I love young people, you know, and especially the ones that have chosen to serve the country. And I was very honored to be a temporary steward of, of the, uh, of what I consider our greatest national treasure, which is the young men and women who choose to serve in the armed forces. That's awesome. And, um, what do you feel? I mean, you've talked about kind of what the military teaches you, the responsibility. Um, has it changed over time? Do you feel like what you've got um, was different, better, or more of a responsibility than it is now? Or is it cons- has it stayed consistent or maybe has it increased for the current military members? I think it, uh, increase, it increases because the complexity increases. If you... Uh, go back 
you know, uh, I was listening to um, a uh, general talk about, you know, his grandfather. And so when his grandfather entered the army at 18, um, you know, he, the, the saddle and the cavalry was one kind of saddle. You know, the rifle and the pistol was one kind of pistol. Um, and his whole 35-year career in the military, the saddle didn't change, the pistol didn't change, the rifle didn't change. Okay? So his whole career was just around one subset of stuff. And today, I mean, things are changing just like in the civilian world at a rate that is just unbelievable. And so uh, people have to be comfortable with change and complexity. And uh, so I think it's much harder because now you not only have to be, um, you know, a leader, but you have to be uh, able to help all of your um, team learn the technicalities of new equipment, new ways of doing things, uh, different systems, uh, that that sort of thing. So I think um, I think it's much harder for somebody now, and I I can't I can't see it getting any easier in the future. Hmm, that makes uh, that makes sense. I would I mean I would think. You know, um, what, what we notice is we like, for example, you know, a simple example, but like I got my first jeans when I was 14 and now kids have jeans at the age of one or, you know, before one, uh, and kind of assuming that things, I guess, I don't even know what to call it, progress more quickly or change this quickly. I thought maybe in the military, you know, like how every generation says that the previous generation has been spoiled or whatever, um, all of those things. Like I thought maybe it's kind of similar, but it, um, it's actually what you just shared is the opposite of of that. It's uh, getting more and more complicated. So I'm guessing there's more responsibility that comes with it too. Yeah. So um, I even changed my focus in mid-career in the military. You know, I uh, was an infantry officer and I'd been in airborne uh, infantry units, um, air assault, infantry units, mechanized units, special forces, um, uh, did that. And I decided, okay, uh, 14 years in that, it's all male. And by this time, the Army, you know, uh, had plenty of uh, women in it. So if I changed from uh, combat arms to combat service support, in other words, supply, maintenance, that kind of stuff, I would be around more women. And I would be challenged to learn how to lead women because it's different, you know, than men. And um, that was one of the best decisions I ever, ever made. And it served me well. Well, why? I mean, why do you say it's different to lead um, women than men? Well, for example, you would need one type of leadership style if the unit was about 15 percent women, which was kind of the average at that time, but you'd have National Guard and Reserve units where maybe there might be 55% of the population of that particular unit would be women. And it requires a slightly different, you know, style. Is it uh, a little bit more less disciplined or is it, does it have nothing to do with discipline? Um, discipline, it really doesn't have anything to discipline it's all about uh, the way that you would communicate. And if, 
if you work it right, uh, I found that you could get more work uh, out of uh, out of women in the field than you get out of men. Oh, but you wow. got to work it right. <laughs> That's very interesting. Uh, very interesting. Uh, and kind of when you work with people on their LinkedIn profiles and their resumes, um, do people ever come, uh, kind of put up, uh, put up a fight? Um, um, I always tell them, look, it's your resume uh, and, and it's your LinkedIn profile. At the end of the day, you know, you have to uh, be comfortable with it because, you know, it's your skin. One of the things I like about the beginning of your about section is, hey, you say I'm a mom, I'm a businesswoman. So what you say is I have several different personas. And uh, so the persona that you need at this particular time is what you're using to get that particular job done. In other words, the business lady at work is probably not the mom lady, you know, <laughs> so uh, and. And that's what we were just talking about um, with regard to, you know, how do you lead women? And I, I think it, you require slightly different personas in order to get what you want done. In other words, uh, telling an infantry unit that's all male, the way that I would communicate them is certainly different than I would communicate with a laundry unit that's taking in all kinds of clothes and washing laundry in the field and that kind of stuff. Okay. And you know what? Um, that may or may not be um, interesting to other to the listeners, uh, but it, it is interesting to me. You mentioned that you were an uh, airborne something. Can you explain what that is? <laughs> okay. So uh, airborne units in the United States Army are uh, use parachute by entry. So uh, you jump out of a perfectly good airplane uh, to get to your to your where they want you on the battlefield. I see. That makes so sense. It gives, it gives the United States a strategic entry capability. In other words, you can load up a bunch of people at Fort Bragg and drop them in the middle of some place in Africa. You know. Oh, wow, that's cool. I mean, my dad actually was he was a reservist, meaning he never served in the army, but he was because he was a doctor. He um, um, they had like a military training or whatever, because every doctor in Belarus is considered a reservist and they have to serve when called, you know, right. care for the wounded and stuff, whatever. Um, and so he uh, he was also airborne. Uh, so he he had uh, a bunch of jumps on record and stuff. And he, I remember he said, he used to say uh, at some point when I was 17, I wanted to jump uh, out with a parachute. <laughs> and he, you know, he was very mad that I wanted to do that. And I actually never did it, which is, which I'm fine with now. I don't want to do it anymore. But, but what he used to say is the first time is okay. The second time you're like kind of getting to the gist of what's going to happen. The third time is the, is the scariest because now you know what's actually going down. <laughs> Yeah, um, the the jump school uh, teaches you very, you have a whole bunch of things you need to do in a certain order. And because uh, people will say, well, what was it like? And I, I always say, well, I don't remember because I was doing all the procedures, you know. <laughs> and so uh, if you finish the last procedure and about four seconds later, you're hitting the ground. 
So you don't really have time to like think about it, I guess. Well, you have time. You have the time to perform all the duties in the aircraft, outside of the aircraft. And uh, if you do all of these, you're going to be just fine. And if you don't do some of those, then, you know, you're, you're at risk. That's cool. Um, I mean, do you, how many jumps have you done in your career? Uh, I've got uh, 42, I believe. That's cool. I don't remember how much my dad had. He mentioned that before, but I just don't remember. It was 13 at least, maybe more. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But uh, how do you, uh, I mean, actually an unrelated question, but how do you feel about these um, attractions where uh, people jump with somebody strapped to their chest? And uh... well, Those are, those are uh, commercial rigs and they're designed for that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, uh, a military parachute is uh, designed uh, as transportation from the aircraft to the ground with, you know, about 160 pounds of equipment. <laughs> and, uh and they don't want you to make decisions like you shouldn't really guide this thing, you know, because uh, uh, you can actually have people interfering with other people. If you don't want to hit somebody up there, you know, driving something. So uh, usually the military parachutes, just minimum steerage gets you from the airplane to the ground safely. Hmm. I mean, you would think that they would have more steerage. Uh, they do. You... The special forces people have uh, nice steerable rigs. They can jump from high altitude, um, all kinds of special units. But if you're dropping, you know, say 60 people out of one airplane, you want things to be pretty much under control. The separation of you coming out of the aircraft is just enough to give you a little space that hopefully you're, you're not bumping into each other because it's not pretty. Wow. <laughs> well, that's really cool. And so um, how can people, I know you've mentioned that it's uh, more um, through LinkedIn, how um, else? And of course the links to your profiles are going to be listed in, in the show notes if you're listening on audio and also under the video, if you're watching on YouTube, but how can people, what's the best way to reach you? Um, and uh, the best you? way to reach me is via LinkedIn because, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of it. So I'm there even more so than my email, <laughs> you know, because uh, most of my business and inquiries really come through uh, LinkedIn. I'm a huge believer that if you, if you build a world-class LinkedIn profile and you want business, it will come if you can be seen for what you bring to the table. Awesome. And if you could go back in time and uh, speak to a younger self or do something differently, one thing, what would that be? Um, the one thing I would tell my younger self uh, is, okay, be a little bit bolder. In <laughs> other words, uh, you know, uh, when you're on the edge, um, well, should I go left or right? You know, don't be, uh, con I'd be a little bit less conservative, you know, especially if it wasn't some sort of uh, career ending, you know, decision, you know, maybe this is going to help me faster or whatever. Um, don't take counsel of your fear. In other words, um, you'll worry about things, but don't take counsel for it because uh, you want to be able to get 
to a mirror and look yourself in that mirror and say, you know, I don't have any regrets, you know, um, you know, I did it, I did it all. And the, the world's uh, your oyster. So, Hey, at the end of it, you know, be all scraped up, cut up, you know, uh, and uh, just have a good ride. That's awesome. I love it. And thanks so much. Thanks so much for sharing it. I certainly um, learned a lot and enjoyed your stories. Uh, I think you have a natural talent talent for telling stories. Um, thanks so much for agreeing to be a guest and uh, um, and for being a great guest. Well, hey, thank you for having me. This was most enjoyable. I appreciated the interaction. All right. And if you're listening to this episode, check out the next episode uh, that we are going to release next week. And we'll talk to you soon.